Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling like an art freak. Good. Do you know why? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> well, why do you think it someone is? Said, someone, someone said the other day, I did an interview the other day for um, uh, BBC News. I was at the Turner Contemporary in Margate, and it was during the Turner Prize. And I, the guy doing the interview beforehand did a little research question. He said to me, like... How do you describe yourself? Why are you so into the arts? And I said, because I'm a bit of an art geek. I'm a bit of a nerd. And then the, the interview started and he went, so you describe yourself as an art freak? And I went, well, not, <laughs> not so much freak, more geek. He said, well, you know, freak, geek, same thing, isn't it? I was like, well, maybe. Well, more nerd. Let's say geek or nerd rather than art freak. I quite like art freak, though. I, know, I think I like we should it. own that. I'm claim I, it now. I think we are art freaks. We are art freaks. And um, we do love art a bit too much. Yes. Um, so our guest today has come all the way from New York. Yeah. And she is a hero to both oh yourself the and mine. I'm yeah, so we're excited. both completely obsessed. <laughs> yes. And the funniest thing is, Russell told me about your work maybe, I don't know, like three months ago, four months ago, because you mm. had a show in London here. Mm -hmm. And um, I looked at it all and was like, I, I thought I wasn't familiar. And then I realized just today that I saw a show of yours in, I think, mid 2000s, mm -hmm. like 2004, five, that Kenny Schachter put on yeah. at the Rove Gallery. I think it was in Hoxton Square, maybe. It was Hoxton yeah. Square. And yeah. that show was incredible because a friend of mine at the time was obsessed with like Genesis Peorage. Mm. And I was quite new to the art world and was sort of learning yeah. as much as I could. And she was teaching you about these kind of like artists that weren't necessarily at like Hauser and Worth right now yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, at the White Cube, yeah, yeah. but artists who were doing really amazing work kind of on the outside of the art world in a uh -huh. way. And, um, but still you know, doing exhibitions and everything. And you were one of the artists that she told me about. So I've actually seen a show of yours back then and I loved it. And I was making music back then. So I've come from a music background, gone into the art world. And then our guest today is someone who crosses many different um, Mediums. art forms. Yes. And I guess the way of summing her up would just be to say she's a multidisciplinary artist. Totally. And uses like sound and yeah. photography and her own body and um, her incredible mind. Yes, is probably and the energy. most powerful <laughs> yes. tool for her artwork. Yes. But uh, we're massive fans. We would massive. like to welcome Kembra <laughs> Fela. Hello, everybody. <laughs> How are hello, you doing? Hello. Um, I'm really well, thank you. Good. It's great to be here. I I um I feel really um flattered and I don't deserve all this praise really. No, I, I think I've been so fortunate just to be able to stay alive all these years and get to show up for all these, you know, shows. Um, 
and I never really expected to get to have such a nice gallery now, like Leopold and MLN. It's worked out very nicely to get to work with a gallery based in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been like a big surprise, all of this exhibiting that's happened. Um, I had a boyfriend who was called Colin Deland in 2002. And that's really one of the only reasons that I started having larger art shows. I was doing the Voluptuous War of Karen Black, my Mm -hmm. band, all the time. Mm -hmm. I never, ever went to galleries. I never went to museums. And Colin Deland, an art dealer, kept calling me on the phone, wanting to meet me and asked me to come in and do an art exhibit. And we fell in love and he became my boyfriend. He died of cancer a few years later. He was also married to Pat Hearn. And Pat Hearn and Colin Deland were two of the originators of what is commonly known as the modern day art fair. They started the armory. Wow. It was Pat and Colin who, they were the first people to do small shows that included all sorts of artists from around the globe. They did a show at Chateau Marmont in the 90s in the hotel rooms, and they instigated this new trend of of armory uh, art fairs, really. And Colin was um, known as the Keith Richards of the art world. (laughs) He was um, very... um, very, very intelligent. He was a linguist. He um, was a philosopher, and also he did artwork. So one of his art projects was running a gallery. Um, He had a pseudonym that was John Dog. He would show sculpture as well. He came up with Richard Prince, and and Richard Prince went in one direction. I think many of the New York galleries that you see today that are involved with people that are interdisciplinary like me mm-hmm. it's because of Colin really? because Colin w- brought me in and when he brought me in it was not popular to deal with queer art trans art people from bands Debbie Harry would always come to art shows but no one was offering Debbie Harry a show John Waters was always coming to art shows but it was Colin that said to John Waters do you want to have an art show? Wow. So it was really Colin that brought me into this. It was kind of my second wave of art world stuff. I, I did art world stuff in the 80s in New York, uh-huh. but I got bored, so I, I left. I would love to talk about in that. In the 80s. That, I got bored, I left. Because I heard about the amazing kind of um, week-long uh, installation you did where you were like sleeping in a window yeah. of, a, of a gallery, and you kind of made this very, <laughs> I think you described it as really like, unwatchable or unenjoyable or something like that or it wasn't entertaining it wasn't it wasn't entertaining because I was in the first decade of my work and I don't know if you've had this experience either of you when you're starting out you're experimenting and I don't think any of us should really know exactly who we are and what we are Mm -hmm. when we're just beginning and I think you know I was trying on different practices and I what did you actually do in the window then for the week I I slept in the window, and it was about availabism, making the best use of what's available. Uh It was at a gallery called ABC No Rio, and excuse me, and it was just, it just something that I felt like doing, and um, I uh, 
was tired and um it was a way to also integrate into the neighborhood because the neighbors thought thought that we were so ridiculous the puerto rican and dominicans of the 80s you know they weren't art lovers was this and, lower east side then yeah it was right, on right. rivington street right, right, right. and it was the time when there were all these different scenes in the lower east side there was the david wojnarowicz scene the karen finley scene the kind of mud club scene and then what's who's karen finley she's a great um performance artist who now runs the performance department of nyu tisch school of performance art yeah and she did a great piece i suggest to everyone who's listening to your show called we are the black sheep Uh and she was really good friends with david really was you good friends with David? Did you know him? I did know him, yeah. But I'm a little bit younger, just a little bit younger than Karen and David. Mm-hmm. And for some reason at that time, I was still like forming. I was an unformed stone or something. But and did you look to Karen for like inspiration? Was she someone that's really pushed you in that direction as well? I guess because I'm such a punk brat from Los Angeles, no one inspired me whatsoever. And I never would... Um, I, I, you know, I, I grew up in Los Angeles as a baby, and I was very anti-celebrity because I got hold of Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon when I was in sixth grade. And what's that about? Kenneth Anger is a filmmaker, and he's kind of a really important, a p- important um, figurehead and father to um, us all who 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 were are interested in film but we're interested in film, not mainstream Hollywood film necessarily. Kenneth made his own films. Mm-hmm. He made fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, he made... Um, he made fireworks? Yeah, fireworks. I'm not fireworks. He didn't make fireworks. He made a film called Fireworks. He was an early queer... He was an early queer icon. You yeah. would love him maybe, his work. And he's exhibiting a lot now. He's he's over 90 years old now. Kenneth was born in by the beach where I'm from right. in, in Santa Monica, Malibu. So I grew up loving art and film, but I didn't really want necessarily to go into Hollywood. Did you I, feel a pressure being in Santa Monica of like I did, yeah. assuming that you would then be... I did, yeah. But also, as a young child, you were actually like in a Kodak advertising campaign. I was you? always in commercials. Were you? Yeah. My aunt was a casting director who, <gasps> who worked for Ron Howard, yeah. Stephen, no. Stephen King... Catherine Bigelow, oh who did God. Near Dark yeah, yeah, yeah. and did um, The Hurt Locker. Yeah. Um, so I was surrounded by Hollywood stuff, and um, that was never the kind of film that I liked necessarily, but I loved film. So I don't know. Um, there was two kind of worlds that existed in tandem, and my world wasn't very popular, and I didn't really – uh, really engage with celebrities that much it was they um so what i'm trying to say is was when karen was never really and the people that i looked up to in new york um they became friends they became collaborators mm-hmm. and it, we it was a different vibe than just looking up to them you know mm-hmm. um thank and that um, it was a good thing actually because karen would always encourage younger people to do their work and to make performance. I remember when she saw 
my some of my first early performances, this woman that I very much looked up to, she just was like, finally, you're you're getting getting the pictures. I mean, yeah, Karen yeah. Finley, I loved. I really recommend her. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Kenneth Anger, so I really recommend. you together, though? Did you do... We've done shows together, but at the time she was blowing up in the 80s, she was number one performance artist of the world. She was in Spin Magazine, and she was really hot, you know? And then I think she kind of left New York and, and um, moved to the country for a while, so... I don't know. She's around. She's at NYU. If she comes around, I would definitely see Karen oh, great. and okay. talk to her about David. And yeah. they made films together with someone called Richard Kern. Yes, yes, yes. Who you've worked with as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I did. I don't really um, have a, a good, a lot of experience speaking on shows like this. Although I've done a few. I'm yeah. sorry if I'm rambling. No, you're honestly, you are like the, our best yes. guest ever. We yes. love you. We, love we you. have nothing but love for you. And well, um, I'm never leaving. By the way, <laughs> wouldn't that be wouldn't that be Harlan? We're like your fan club. What if I had just sort of like an episode right now and like had a breakdown and would never leave? I don't think you'd like me then. We would. We would take care of you. We would take care of you. So we could treat it as a performance. That's fine. It's totally fine. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. So. My so, students do that, by the way. Do they? I just taught yesterday at, 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 at Columbia, oh, right. and everyone was crying in the class, so sad and so upset. Everyone is cracking up. To come London or? No, that um, the whole world is oh, yes. melting and fucked, dying yeah. and yeah. Fucked, as, yeah. fucked as it can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is quite a traumatizing time, though, I think, at the moment. But, it is. Um, do, you I, feel, do you feel like in times like this that good art comes out of it? Because your experience of the 80s is that most of your best friends were taken away by AIDS. Yeah, they died of AIDS. And that would have been, <laughs> do you feel that time politically affected art that was being made? Totally. I, I think always in every decade you have to, like Raina Maria Rilke says, it's our jobs as artists and people that love art to always find the greatness and the beauty no matter what decade it is, no matter what's happening. Um that the world is come coming to an end is is better artwork being made i don't know um i've always been inspired by great artworks it's the only thing that's really fortified me like i don't take exciting vacations this is like exciting vacation to me to see your art collection (laughs) i don't go to saint-tropez or to uh, mount well actually i do (laughs) <laughs> and I go to Hawaii too <laughs> so I do go to nice places but it's it's not it's um, really always nice to come to people's studios yeah. and see the artwork that they have that's my favorite thing yeah. to do what have you seen recently that you've liked um, well I went to Palais de Tokyo oh went, yes and I went to the Thierry Mugler show and I loved the drawings Thierry Mugler did in uh-huh. the 80s of all of his models yes. and his clothes and I saw Rick Owens' show yeah, I love in Rick Owens. Paris, and yeah. I saw... I love um, his furniture. Have you seen his furniture? Like the stag's horn and that, the very square, robust seating. And Yeah, we're going to do a show with Rick Owens at the Pompidou Centre. Are you? In October on the 18th. Wicked. So what, and what is your involvement in that? You're going to be... I'm on one of his friends who's going to be um, one part of the sculpture. Amazing. It's going to be good. That's yeah. so good. And so it's me and Tommy Cash... The guy, the Albanian, I think he's from, do you know where he's from, that rapper, Leopold? He's um, he's 
and Christine is going to be in that show. Yeah, you love yeah I'm Chris. obsessed with Christine. Me too. I'm and, obsessed um, too. Yeah, a friend of mine, Zoe Badeau, she's actually curated a show that's on in my gallery in Margate at the moment. Wow. And it's looking at the history of um, tights. tights and how they've been used in art. So it's got artists <sighs> who are contemporary, like making art right now with tights. So that's there's such an artist a good from idea. South Africa um, called Cheria Magadlela, who's making work with hosiery and tights. And then there's also people like Louise Bourgeois and Sarah Lucas and kind of the icons that we, we're aware of. Mm-hmm. And there's also people from the 70s. There's Lee Bowery in there. Lee Bowery's yeah. in there and different, there's many different artists. It's an incredible show and it covers so many different topics from like feminism to racial politics to, um, you know, even the use of tights for men and how maybe they've restricted or, um, you know, made it harder for men. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting uh, show actually and very very deep I but, can't wait to um, see that it's amazing she went I to wanna... Christine's show on Sunday at the Barbican and I was so exhausted because we've been setting up it's got 22 artists in the show so it's just been so demanding with freeze mm-hmm. coming up and everything so I didn't make it but I've been messaging Christine on Instagram because I'm just totally in love and um yeah has I she guess... messaged back or ignored you yeah no we've been getting oh, good. Heart, love hearts <laughs> yeah. oh right great yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm I'm a big big admirer of, me too of Christine as well yeah me too. and Zoe was with um I think I don't know if Rick was there but Rick's wife um, Michelle Michelle exactly they were all together a few weeks before the show I think as well, Rick so. and Michelle are coming here now this week maybe Wicked. for freeze I don't know what they're yeah, coming yeah. here for exactly but mm-hmm. they're coming so but that, you're in London for freeze that's why you're here I'm here with Emmeline Gallery yep. and Leopold Tone and Angelina Volk are uh-huh. they run Emmeline and they um asked me Leopold asked me a few years ago if we could work together uh-huh. and I had just done a show with Anoni and yes. Coco Rosie and Johanna in New York called Future Feminism uh-huh. in 2014 and um, Jeffrey Deitch was my gallerist after Colin died and I just um, decided that I wanted to work with Leopold and Angelina because I felt like they cared about my actual work oh my god they do well that's how i came to work because i turned up at the gallery and you had a big sequin disco penis that was there life life size big like human size Uh man size (laughs) and i stood next to it and posed and then i had the tour with leo and i just completely became obsessed with you and then came to watch all your videos of the voluptuous horror of karen black and me and rob were talking about this and we want to be your karen blacks at some point we want (laughs) to we want to come on and you, you body paint us and that then, would be and then so we do, amazing. We do things. Are you kidding me? That would be we, so amazing. We would, love, we would absolutely love it. So let's talk about the voluptuous okay. horror of Karen Black. Okay. How did that come about? Um, pretty much I was, I was married to Samoa and we met. He was uh, dancing on the bar of the pyramid. He's from Hiroshima, Japan. Yeah. And he's, so what's that like? So people still live in Hiroshima. Well, he had left Japan, I guess, in Samoa left Japan around 1980. Uh Um, He was a rock and roll kid and wasn't very popular in his little small town near Hiroshima. So, yeah, his family are all like Hiroshima mutants, essentially. Um, So Samoa started a band in Japan, studied extreme theater in Tokyo, and then ended up in New York City like all of us brave weirdos from around the world who were going to be killed if we stayed in our hometowns. We all left to New York because New York was safe for us. Is that what it felt like then, though? You felt like if you stayed where you were, you couldn't have been the person you needed to be? No, because my look wasn't popular until 
the 90s until um, I got discovered by Calvin Klein and they started taking pictures and the idea of beauty changed a little bit mm -hmm. and black hair was embraced and different body types were embraced and you know people the older artists were people that kind of helped that to happen artists like karen vinley and mary Hellman and lorraine yeah, she taught you didn't she mary yeah, Hellman? S S and lorraine o'grady yeah. just mm -hmm. the older artists were kind of really um catalytic in helping to wake up the culture to not be so mean-spirited towards us people that were queer and who weren't looking like blonde and skinny from Malibu. That's my background. Well, one of the interesting things that I connected with in your work, which is quite funny because I'm a man, obviously, is this idea of body image. And um, I heard you speak really eloquently recently in a film. Um, you were actually talking about the menopause and the idea of yeah. like getting older as a woman. This whole idea of like um, somehow taking control of your own body when you feel uncomfortable within it for you know as you're growing up. And you grew up in California and were surfing a lot. And I guess there was a lot of like a certain type of a look in that in that place I just really connected with and I had such empathy with and it's like from my, I used to be in a pop band and I grew up and people were always telling me to lose weight and you know you're constantly worried about being on stage and how you feel mm. but your work for me kind of liberates me like I watch your the way you're so physical and the way you use your body in such a powerful way actually and even you showed us a clip uh sorry a, a photograph um leopold showed us just before we started uh recording of you surfing and i'm quite fascinated as, in as, this, as karen black yeah as, as karen black like yeah. in, in full body paint yeah. but even that physicality and this idea of how you've grown up with surfing and then how you've sort of incorporated into, that yeah it's yeah. fascinating yeah well um i I don't know where if where are you both from? Where were you growing so up? So I'm Essex, which is probably Jersey to okay. New York, yeah. I'm so I wanna ask you both a million questions too, but mm. <laughs> like how you know, um how how did you can I ask, is it rude to ask how you started doing all your acting things I, and all I your plays and joined stuff? Joined a drama club when I was a kid, got an agent, and then through doing mainly theatre, I made the transition from child to adult actor. And wow. then it's oh, sort of did. been, and plays for me the thing. So I would choose a play over anything else. Wow. And that, I feel like that is, uh, I can, the moments in my career and my life that have been the most important kind of revolved around plays. Plays are really, and acting is really hard for me because I can't remember lines. And I find that when I was growing up in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. I found that doing acting was something I wasn't good at. Auditions and things um, like that. And I couldn't handle the emotional ins and outs that you had to do to go into characters right. I was too fragile emotionally and I couldn't I couldn't comprehend going in and out of characters mm -hmm. I wasn't a method actor mm -hmm. and um so, but I really loved strange movies and I really loved theater and performance mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it I, I, I couldn't handle it it was too upsetting to me. Brilliant. I remember doing Under Milkwood, yep. Dylan Thomas, Thomas yep. and I just had a complete breakdown reading that text. Wow. And I couldn't, um, I didn't get cast. I was, uh, didn't get cast in the play and I, and I didn't, couldn't understand why they wouldn't allow me to work on the play anyways and include me like, can I do something else? Mm -hmm. Um so there wasn't, around that kind of traditional theater, there wasn't the spirit of inclusion mm -hmm. that I found in punk in Los Angeles and in art. So that's sort of why I gravitated towards that, because 
um, I made a lot of mistakes and I had a, I couldn't act, but I loved music and performance mm-hmm. and making beautiful things. Mm-hmm. To me, plays were beautiful things. I, I went to the Renaissance Fair every year with my auntie and would watch all of the Renaissance plays. And I love the costumes at the Renaissance Fair. And I went to every film set that I could when I was growing up mm-hmm. um, to watch my aunt work. And so I guess what Your I'm trying to say. Your aunt who's casting director. Mm-hmm. Right. So you'd go and you'd see all the actors come in. and I mean, I came to do what I'm doing similarly probably to the same way you all yeah. did. You get, there's some spark of, of beauty and joy and creativity. And you think, this is beautiful. Mm. This is going to set me on a trajectory that might make life worth living because mm-hmm. I, I feel like great art and and music and theater give us a reason to live it's a it's very healing to do artwork it's like a panacea it, it's made me stronger as well I can't imagine life without having being surrounded by beauty and challenging work mm-hmm. I just can't imagine it mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I grew up outside London, like an hour outside London. And when I was a young kid, I did a lot of ballet and I wanted to be a ballet dancer until I was about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And then I started acting and I loved acting as well. But for me, acting was never right either because I always felt like you had to be someone else's story. But you liked all the hard stuff. You liked the theatre cruelty. Yeah, I liked Stephen like, Burkhoff. Yeah. And he liked, like, I mean, I appreciate it, but Rob got immersed in it and yeah, loved the really, really the traumatic theatre. Yeah. And then I started writing songs and then that led me eventually to art as well. So, and I sort of gave up writing music and became a gallerist. Mm-hmm. So it's been this really odd journey in a way. But for me, it was often about trying to somehow work out my own story of like... Well, what your creativity zone was, zoning, like trying to yeah. choose it, like where it was going to go. Yeah, and self-portraiture. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love what you do, because yeah. I feel like you've created like a, a character, I guess, but at the same time, it's so true to you and so mm. purely like your soul. So it's almost like you've done all these films. I know you made like sort of horror films almost and like mm-hmm. and and your albums I feel like yeah but let's talk about the albums then so how so we talking about how you got to be Karen Black how that how that got to be um because I grew up and I was terrible at school in Los Angeles the school system's extremely boring right. and I was it was a huge public school and my mother had gone to the same school so I walked into the classroom and my teacher I remember Doris was her name she said to me you're Judy Fa- you're Judy Ray's kid aren't you stand in the hallway they my teacher didn't like my mother and we were like the bad kids so I I remember the day that I was told to stand in the hallway I left the class and I thought what am I doing standing here I'm just gonna leave so I left the class went to the beach started just screwing around making things and I they school was so negligent in Southern California where I went. Mm-hmm. We were never accountable for attendance. I took my parents pot every you know they had pot all over the house. This was the 60s in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um I went to the beach every day and I started to develop my own mythology, my own vocabulary of images because it was so incredibly boring in school and there was nothing to do. So um I watched films all the time and television all the time. And I love the actress Karen Black who mm-hmm. made Five Easy Pieces, mm-hmm. the Bob Raffleson film. Do you know that film? No, don't know it. Oh, I can't wait for you to see okay. that. If if you are doing, is it okay to say the play you're doing? Yes. Yeah, if you love Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, 
you might love Bob Raffleson's Five Easy Pieces. Okay, cool. we it's should watch it. It's such yeah. a great film. Do you like that one too, Leopold? And I mean, it was a school of Dennis Hopper and yes. Tony Basil. And uh-huh. Karen Black was from a time in Los Angeles where interdisciplinary extreme artists worked in the medium of film. Wow. She always played kooky kind of screwball characters, didn't she? Yeah, Everything she was she did. unusual looking. Uh-huh. And I loved her working with Robert Altman uh-huh. in the film called Nashville. Mm. So I always loved her um, films that she did. And when I was in New York, I met a filmmaker called Mike Kuchar Mm -hmm. and George Kuchar I met, and they inspired John Waters. And I actually started making films with Mike Kuchar. And I did a performance one night and Mike said to me, Cambra, your work's very voluptuously horrific. I said, that's a very Baroque way to speak. Wow. And so um, I just, you know, as as poems happen, they just pop into your head. Yeah, I I named the band the Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black, and she came to my first. show. So you've show. met Karen Black. I was about to ask that. She you've met her. She came to my first show in in Los Angeles, and she got on stage and introduced us. No, no way. that's so special. Had she did she know what the work was? Had she seen you perform before? Okay, first of all, the work was so ridiculously unpopular at the time right. standing on my head and cracking eggs on my vagina yeah. which stems from a George Bataille book called Story of the Eye I mean Karen Black is an extreme actress and artist despite the fact that she got sucked into um, Scientology like a lot of people in Los Angeles oh, she did, right. but um but I guess that worked for her because she was happy and well most of her life and worked all of her life so yeah. I guess that cult worked for her um but she introduced us and she tried to pick up my drummer she she wanted to have sex with my drummer and she said to me she took me by the hand and looked me in the eye and said i think you're a wonderful artist and i really love what you're doing and good luck with it wow she never sued me she never interfered with any of my web activity she never did anything mean-spirited to me and she always supported me. And I remember I did a show with Lou Reed at UCLA right? called wow. The Raven. And we needed an actress to be in The Raven with us. So we hired Karen Black. Oh, that's no so way. good. What an endorsement. The, is, though, the best artists always support other yes, artists. Yes, exactly. And will applaud other artists. Yes. And also let you have your time. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, we'll try she and, did. yeah, that's so wonderful and generous. She did. And I wanted to do a, a benefit for her when she died of cancer. But it was funny because just speaking of sizeism and misogyny and sexism and stuff, I went to meet her husband Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do a benefit with for her and uh, after she passed away and to raise money for him because he lost his home after she died with he had a daughter and I went out to um, dinner in Los Angeles with. I was took my friend Hal Wilner with me, who's a great producer of Marianne Faithful and Lou Reed and, so and all these great musicians. I said, Hal, will you come with me? I don't want to go alone to meet Karen's husband because Scientologists are so scary. I don't want to be abducted by a Scientologist. So I met with Karen Black's husband to give money to, to him and his child. And he never looked at me in the eye. He, he got on the phone with Tony Basel and said, 
hey, Tony, I'm here with Hal Wilner from Saturday Night Live. And I was sitting next to Hal, kind of kicking Hal under the table. And I said, he doesn't see me. Wow. He doesn't see the, what that? I've done. Why? Because? Because I'm a, I'm a five foot three, 105 pound female. And he doesn't, he didn't understand how much muscle I had. Amazing. And I was the one putting on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hal wasn't there. Hal Whoa. was there to just be my friend. So I, that was a sad day for me. Was he, he a Scientologist as well, him and his daughter? It was a yeah, whole family. I mean, he, I'm sure he was really traumatized. And it just it's just kind of indicative of a mentality from Los Angeles. Like if you get around really famous people, people get all mood altered. Yeah. And he saw Hal and dollar signs popped yeah. up. You know, he's like, so oh, he could see was I'm with yeah. Hal, yeah, yeah, yeah. a man from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I was Hal was kicking me under the table saying like, you know, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never was able, excuse me, to do that benefit for Karen Black. That's how it started. She never got litigious with me. She was always supportive. And, I mean, I did some pretty severe stuff mm-hmm. in my band. Mm-hmm. I sewed my vagina shut. Mm-hmm. I, I I did things that would ruin your life um, if, if I felt like having a conservative career um, of any sort it would be impossible because of what I've done. And I knew that, and um, I still i am really proud of all that work. And yes. that's what Karen incredible. Black um, sensed. Right. Wow. So you see, when, when you sewed your vagina shut, is that still the case now? No, no. I think that might be pretty hard, right? How would you, <laughs> how would you like, so. use the restroom or, like, uh, do anything, mm-hmm. you know? No, we just did it. It was funny to do. It was funny. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a destructive maneuver. Yeah. It was just. It's easy to sew your vagina shut. You just take a needle, and you know, compared to all the other pain in the world and bad things that happen, it was easy to do. Are you also, pr- that 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 work is um, documented in the freeze. Uh, project you're doing now i think there's there's pictures of you leopold um encouraged me and curated a lot of the work that's up you know thanks leopold um because i i don't really ever look backwards i call it yesterbating right to look backwards i like that that's a hashtag love that that's a hashtag (laughs) yesterbating yes i never look backwards i don't know if this affects you both if you're both doing art projects galleries and plays yeah I mean, I I feel like if I look in the rear view mirror too much, I will I won't be here You'll in the slow day down. Yeah. for the present. Uh-huh. So the, I don't know. I I don't even realize how old I am. I keep reminding myself. I forget that I'm fifty nine. And um, you look incredible for fifty nine. Oh my god! Yeah, it's because of having such an extreme um 99% type lifestyle you know like i think if i was a one percenter i would have spent a fortune on like hormone treatments and surgeries and everything but i was with violetta sanchez this artist from thierry mugler right. who was a model and violetta said i said do you take hormones violetta and she was like it's you don't take any hormones because you're just they're a man-made construct don't take hormones because you'll have to go through menopause twice so i've never done anything that you're supposed to do when you get older i've never done anything you're supposed to do when you're younger also Mm -hmm. i've never spent a penny on beauty products i don't buy anything 
Or body paint. I mean, you must spend a fortune on body, body <laughs> yeah, paint. I have a sponsor. <laughs> do you? Do you really? Yes. That's handy. You do you want, to mention, your, do you want to mention your sponsor? You could get a sponsor. You probably have a sponsor too. I've, I've got a few We actually yeah. have a sponsor for the podcast. You ever get sponsors, well. yeah. But talking of the body paint, aren't you... It's so- Alcone makeup. And I recommend Alcone. Okay. You'll meet them if you come to Broadway. Okay. They're wonderful for all... Uh, theatrical, like Ben Nye cosmetics, uh, oh, horror Nye. makeups, yes, um, prosthetics. Um, they did the Lion King. Wow! Um, oh, and yeah. they've been sponsoring me for over a decade. How long does it take for you to do your whole body in in the paint? It depends. Sometimes, if I do a quick punk show, I can do it in five minutes. What your whole body? Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Really, that's I can do it. You've got with, it down to a fine art. And if I'm doing something for film and I need to keep the body paint on all day, like I did a Rick Owens fashion shoot for Candy magazine with all of Rick's clothes, and I didn't want to ruin the clothes, so I did a kind of body paint that wouldn't ever come off. Wow. It was a latex, and so that took a few hours. Wow. So it doesn't take a long time. And how do you choose what? Color you go for because the photograph you just showed us, you're on a surfboard in red, and performances I've seen you come on in blue, and you black out all your teeth, yeah, and you wear big, big hair pieces, and you're not, you're right, okay, you normally are topless. Sometimes, if you're in like using Tompkins Square Park, one I saw you had, yeah. you had uh, pants on, but you had the top off, and then other ones you're completely naked. How yeah. do you decide on the color? Um, I think it's the color. Did you ever see classical Chinese opera? Like colors have an actual significance in Chinese opera. Like reds can in, indicate love, or blues can indicate sorrow, or the sky. So, color therapy for me is I I, I prefer cooler colors. Um, I don't like primary colors on my body. I think it looks too comical. So I like cooler tones. And having this color on my body is the only time I really love to be surrounded by color. Like in my home, I don't have anything on the walls or any color around me at all. I I, I think I do what I feel like doing. That's it, really. So it's really just about feeling. And I think that it's the same way you would probably choose paintings or how you Mm, would get dressed in the daytime. It's something that is something, if you listen to, it's just something that, is an instinct so and did you always start as yourself as karen black and then the other karen black models came alongside you or was that always your kind of plan from the beginning well it's just something to do with my friends and when i was doing a lot of shows with jeffrey deitch jeffrey would always say why don't we get a school bus and fill it with girls of karen black and i said that's a good idea mm-hmm. so I, it wasn't my intention to have everyone be my in my costume now mm-hmm. but it's a nice way to include your sisters and brothers mm-hmm. my brother was a girl of karen black really you're a great collaborator as well i feel yeah. like you've you've um sort of worked with a lot of different people with different talents and i think every time you collaborate with somebody it becomes something so unique which is what i was telling you earlier on was this idea that if you look at someone like lee bowery if fergus greer took a photograph of him for me it's an amazing photograph of course and fergus greer is amazing but for me it's always lee that like really excites me i always just end up thinking about how genius lee bowery is and mm. i kind of feel that with with you you know even if someone takes a picture of you i have a very similar reaction like i you you are a kind of living artwork in yes that. That'll be five dollars. <laughs> That'll be five pounds. Five. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I always thought I should write a, have a t-shirt that had my PayPal address on it and yeah. say, if you look at me, pay send money to PayPal. Nice. <laughs> no, but nah. There's so many interesting artists around right now. I think it's a really hot time and a great time in the arts because it's a, a little more interdisciplinary and it there's a time when the film industry and actors and artists and musicians everyone's a little bit loosening up to work with one another i found like my i teach a performance class at at Columbia's. columbia yeah. and what does that involve then how how do you do that how do you well, teach yeah um we I read my favorite books with them, Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese's wife, mm-hmm. The Horror Show by David J. Scull. So there's a few texts we read, and then we start activating, and I teach them how to get bookings and do performance. And, you know, everyone has a performance in them, whether or not they want to do it in front of one person or 20 or 5,000. It's a very personal experience. So it's not entertainment. It's just a medium. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard that for you, um, like going to the microphone was quite a big deal because you, you, a lot of your early work, like when you had, I know when you did that extremist kind of show in New York that we spoke yeah. about earlier in the, mm-hmm. the mid 80s, you, you had like an image of you, I think it was you physically, but with your boots or something tied behind you or something mm-hmm. and you were walking, but often you said they were in silence. And yeah, then going to the mic, silent. All, silent. all silent, yeah. So going to the microphone and actually singing or, you know, or, or performing with your voice was actually quite a big deal. Well, you know how people become drug addicts and alcoholics when they start rock bands? Yes. I um, stopped using drugs and alcohol when I started my rock band. And life would be so boring without singing and loud music. It was just like um, also a panacea for me to um, start singing and doing the band at a time. I stopped using drugs and alcohol in the 80s when my best friend and my first relationship died of AIDS and literally everyone died around me and it was the first time when all of us looked at one another and said it's not really cool for us to be killing ourselves when our best friends are dying involuntarily Mm. so it was a big change for a lot of us there was a big wave of um putting down drugs and alcohol in the 80s. And, right. live, and deciding to live, deciding to like... Yeah, we had to. And then ACT UP started. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of your early collaborators, Gordon... That's he, Gordon yeah, Curdy. Yeah, Gordon Curdy, yeah. So I heard about how amazing he was. And a lot of your early work was in a collaboration with him. It was. And he died of AIDS. And he, he was... His death was so fast and so tragic. And, you know, he'd run away from his family, really. These Irish Catholic people from the Bronx. And... When he passed away, his family came back to him 
and surrounded him and wouldn't let any of his friends see him pass away and it was really traumatic for us all that's what karen finley's poem the black sheep is about i really recommend to your listeners for the them to look up the black sheep it's really powerful but you know everyone in every decade my students in my class they're they're um Gen Zers, Generation Zs. Yes. And they and then there's alphas too, so they're really young. So they say to me, What was it like losing all of your friends to AIDS and everything? And and I was like, Well, it's like it still is now. Don't you know teenagers that are getting AIDS? Because I do. There's lots, kids are getting AIDS. Everyone's getting AIDS still all the time, even using PrEP. Like PrEP's really big in New York City. Yeah. The anti AIDS drug. So, and a lot of times now people are acting out so intensely because the world's coming to an end. Mm. Um, there's a lot of really intense behaviors all around that. So there's just as there's just as much trauma now as there was in the 80s. I keep telling all of my students, I was like, don't worry about the trauma that I had when I was a teenager. You've got enough of your own right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you've got enough. They do. <laughs> and I think it is important for people to just keep talking about it um, because I feel like a lot of people think it's sort of ended or something. An antique. And because like, it's and not. Presumed, you yeah. still get it. Yeah, you can you still, still exactly. get it. And, yeah. it's, and I, I, I said... I told the kids yesterday in class I was like it's embarrassing enough to have sex <laughs> you know it's easier these days but it's harder to have sex when you have to tell somebody you have HIV mm. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. something I've been thinking a lot about recently is this idea of um, how society wants to kind of define who we all are so if, if you meet somebody and they say what do you do who are you you have to sort of be able to succinctly say who you are yeah. and when I was looking at your kind of history of everything you've done it's so multidisciplinary and so it crosses so many boundaries but at the same time it's always you and it's always so pure and so clear what it is and to me it's just one you know one artist doing their work and yeah. I find it so irritating and I was talking to Zoe who created that show I told you about about this idea that especially women I think I think everyone's trying to define them and we've been interviewed by um, a number of people over the last few weeks and everybody wants to know who she is and why you know why she was curating this show how is she a curator when in fact um she hasn't necessarily created loads of shows before but to me it doesn't matter why you know i feel that we can just all be creative in different ways mm. and i think you're a great example of that and why i want to like champion you and scream your name from the rooftops mm. because i feel like like you're saying this younger generation we are all talking to each other from different disciplines and um, yeah, I, mean, I hope so. I mean, that's one thing that the class asked me to teach at Columbia. I didn't try out for a teaching job at Columbia. Um, the students in my class asked me because I started a performance class in my apartment called Performance Art 101. And I did that because um, we also had podcasts, too. We wow. had a podcast with Performance Art 101, and everyone was listening to it. So I started having students in my house. How many would you have at a time? Um, from one to twenty. Did it ever? Yeah. That's amazing. And did it ever get like? Was you happy with all the students, or were some of them a bit kind of? 
I didn't have any problems except for one student that I asked to work for me, and she lost her mind <clears throat> because um, she um, had trauma and she had some problems. So there's always people that crack like an egg. That's okay. Bad stuff happens, but like Charles Bukowski said, it's so much easier just to trust, and you just trust until you don't. And that's actually what I said yeah. to someone who was interviewing us. I said to them that for me, it's about trust. And as a gallerist, you have to just trust who you work with. And if you can believe in someone, mm. and sometimes it's cerebral and you have to really think about it intellectually. And of course, that's really important. But the other side is the gut. And, you know, I've spent enough time with artists now to know when someone's, you know, being true to their voice and trying to do the best work they can make and they might not have made it yet and you have to realize that even someone at the age of 50 mm. might not have done their greatest artwork yet and they right. might do it at the age of 70 do you know right. what i mean yeah and i think it's yeah. really important to open our minds and realize that we don't have to be an artist or just you know defined as one tiny thing on a wikipedia page you know mm. it's so boring and yeah. it's not what art is about you know, it's not one tiny little thing. It's like, it's bigger than that. I was hoping that this year, um, I always asked everyone that I come across, I wish that we had another, if we're changing a system, what would we call ourselves if we didn't call ourselves artists? Yeah. Like in Bali, they don't really, do they have um, an art scene in Bali where um, I don't think that they have an actual art scene. Everything is creative and artistic in Bali, I heard. Well, I, I was just there um, about a year ago. And really? I went there. Well, a friend of mine took me on holiday there. So I, it was a really generous thing of her. And I got there and she kind of tricked me because I'm really not very sporty. And she was like, you're here to learn to surf. So I just took it on. And I thought, you know what? At the age of 36, 37, I was going to learn to surf. So I did it. <laughs> and I went in the sea and it was the best experience, the most humbling thing I've ever done. Because you're there with the board and the waves yeah. and I learned how much I love the sea and I didn't feel scared at all and some yeah. of my friends were scared of like sharks or this stuff because I think there'd been a few sharks in the area but for me yeah, I just felt the most peaceful everywhere. I've ever felt and you're right in <laughs> Bali it is all creative and it's not like there's an art scene necessarily it's not like that's a separate job it's no like exactly it's like everything even even like you sit on a table in a restaurant and the way they have put the flowers together is really artistic or something mm. it's all very creative there I wonder it'd be fun to, um, like, we're calling my class interdisciplinary art and mm. that, that they used to call it multimedia. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's maybe, you know, Shakespeare used to always invent new words mm -hmm. and we sort of stopped inventing new words in the English language. Like, I love the word availabism. I, yes. I did you that. create that? You I guess quite, I yes. did. Yeah. I love that. And the availability is using what's available. That's, yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's so much new technology and so many new things happening that I don't think have an actual word to describe it. Mm. You know, mm. there's so many. There's so much possibility for new language. Mm. So I like the idea of making up new language. And I used to work at Oxford University Press, and they told me that. The dictionary, if you wanted to get a new word in the dictionary, it only had to be in print three times. <gasps> really? Yeah, and it would be a real word. Well, we've got so, to try, I think we'll have to so try good. that as a social yeah, experiment. Exactly, yeah. So you talk about Shakespeare making up new words. I found out recently that he made up the word drag because drag is a stage direction that says dressed as a girl. And it's an acronym me. for dressed really? as a girl in Shakespeare plays, yes. That's so good. Isn't that amazing? I can't believe I didn't know that. I know, what I a great I knew fact, everything. isn't it? Yes. It's funny because a lot of um, people that I work with that are a lot younger than me like to work from in bed. 
you know, because you can put your computer in bed and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I find that if you leave the house, you really can, you know, happy accidents happen mm -hmm. and running into people that you might not have planned on meeting. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of synchronicities and happy accidents. And that comes from actually leaving the house. Mm -hmm. yeah, and a so lot true. of times people that I'm speaking to these days, they get so overwhelmed and so confused with making so many choices. They mm -hmm. just stay online in bed all day. Wow. And work. And I mean, there we we have to work in our studios when we're artists to create new work, of yeah. course. Yeah. But um, like in Harlem, where I teach at Columbia, none of the people that I'm teaching in school know what's going on in Harlem. They don't yeah. know. They didn't know about the Apollo Theater. They must go to the Studio Museum. Nope. Really? They didn't know anything That's about crazy. Harlem. Do you like teaching? Um, yes and no. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just learning. I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I, I, my mother likes it, mm -hmm. you know, because my mother has always been so afraid of me. Um, like my boyfriend died of cancer and stuff. And, um, you know, she gets worried about me. What's going to happen to me? My brother, my two brothers are in bands too. And we're all artists. Thanks, Leopold. What's this immune system? It's an actimel. So it's got Alkasai immunitas. It's got like nice, it tastes nice. Good, for that. good bacteria in it. Thank you so much. That's all right. Well, that should so help with your jet lag a little. My mom, my mom worries about my mother, worries about me. And she's going to die soon because she's, you know, always talking about it. I'm going to die soon. I'm going to die soon. I'm going to die soon. <laughs> and she, you know, she lives in Hawaii and she just loves that I'm teaching at Columbia. Oh. So she's just telling all of her Hawaiian friends mm -hmm. that I'm teaching at Columbia. She's really proud of that. And I don't think she, she's loved Karen Black and she's seen everything I've done. My parents mm -hmm. always came to see my artwork all through the years. And a lot of extreme artists like me often leave their parents yeah. and leave their homes. But they and must find it tough to see the work. Didn't your mum find it very tough to see you she did. sew up your own vagina? She really did, yeah. And what was she her? Did she see gross. the video? She saw the film of it? or She covered her eyes, you know, of course. Mm. My mom's not, my mom's a, a mom and she just, I just told her I was very angry and doing future feminism with Anoni and Coco Rosie and Johanna, future feminism, we addressed a lot of the stuff that they talked about in the YouTube movement, but they kind of... Um, I don't know what the YouTube movement is. What's YouTube, YouTube. Oh, YouTube movement, sorry. When, oh, yeah. Is when we all started, um, when, when uh, misogyny came to the forefront of our culture. Yeah. And that essentially, misogyny and sexism started to come to the forefront. But in America, what happened was the media monetized it. So that was the primary concern for attention towards females and misogyny. And it's just a, a trend, right. sort of. So, do you think that's what Me Too's turned into? Like that whole it thing? Always was yeah, that. Exactly. It always yeah, yeah, was that. Yeah. Um, it was um, monetized. Yeah. And, um, but it, doing future feminism in 2014 helped me a lot with to articulate to my mom why I was so angry for being devalued and being female. But still, you know, um, when you're a struggling artist and you're an artist all your life, you have to question why you're doing it anyways and you, you're not doing it for the approval of others. So, huh? 
Yeah. Well, I, I love that you're teaching. I think it's such a brilliant yeah, thing. Yeah, I do too. Because I think you're, whether you realize it or not, I think you have an incredible generosity and I really feel it in the work. Really? And I'm grateful for that just mm. as a like recipient of the work in that sense, like, you know, watching it and mm. and being a viewer of it. I, I take so much yeah. like, strength from it. I mean, it is, it's really, it's, and what your work is incredibly entertaining. It's also like, well, equally exactly. fascinating and yeah. moving really? yeah. and shocking. And you're, you're, we're witnessing things that we don't know you wouldn't be looking for you wouldn't know would arrive and i think it's really nice of you guys to say that because most people just threw rocks and stones and bottles at me but you know what all the greatest artists have that and i feel like a lot of the best artists are the ones that right now probably like don't even get seen or heard in these bigger galleries and everything but then often is the case especially with women which really pisses me off um they will get discovered once they've gone you know it's like or or once they're they're really really old old. you know like if they're like 98 and then they've got a few years they're no longer threatening or something it's like it's ridiculous yeah yeah so i'm glad that's what that's what the the, um, queer population of the world and other races have been experiencing this since the industrial revolution and since the turn of the century so I mean, um, Emmeline said to me that Leopold's gallery and, and Angelina's gallery, they said, we want to work with you and work on your things until for as long as we can. It's and and so that that really struck a chord with me. So yeah. I, I think I might be a little popular now, but it'll change. We're going to make you more popular. We're shouting your name from the rooftops. Oh, but like you say, what I like, you. though, is that it doesn't matter whether you're being popular or not matter. popular. It's kind of irrelevant. It's kind of what's important is mm. you making your work. And I mean, being able you, to continue but, you both must have experienced highs and lows doing of all totally. of the... And then you have to come to this place of questioning why you're doing it mm-hmm. and really loving the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And then when things are going well, what kind of service you can be to... the community around you and what you could give back like um the lower east side is such a great place and people always come there and say they're from there and but they never come back they never fix buildings or build community centers or help the artists or help the neighbors there they just sort of really devour Mm. my neighborhood in the lower east side that that irritates me and I never wanted to leave the Lower East Side when I found it because I love Dominican, Puerto Rican people so much. They saved my life, Those, that community. I heard you so. talk about that before where you talked about how they were very family-orientated and really kind of community, and there was this real strong sense of that, which is something I never really thought about in the Lower East like, because I wasn't there, obviously. I was born in 1980, and... Um, like I, I sort of grew up hearing about it, but I've never heard it described like that. And it's so, I, I love that you described it like that because it's so accurate probably to what the experience was like it's to be It's the there. core of the Lower East Side, Miguel Pinheiro and uh, Louise Gussman, who is a great actor, television actor, grew up on the Lower East Side. Um, gosh, I mean, yeah, they, the Puerto Rican and, and, and uh, Dominican people have, they would see me on the street. They would say, can you please come over for dinner? And what are you doing? Like, you've got to put a jacket on. You're not, mm. I was from California. Um, and even the punk kids, the, being from California was like being from outer space in, right. when I got there in 1979. I went to school with Keith Herring and... Um, and um, Jean-Michel Basquiat was around, and I was even a different kind of punk kid. <laughs> Did you meet Warhol? 
I didn't, but Colin did. Really? Colin Deland met Warhol. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with Lou Reed. Wow. That was really um, life-changing for me. Wow. Um, and Laurie Anderson. And oh, I, I love Laurie Anderson so much. Me too. Yeah. Me and too. She, she was in the audience of your your show, wasn't she, recently? Well, or, we did a play together. We did a play together as well. I did a with play with Anoni called She who saw beautiful things at the kitchen, which you might visit when you're there. Yeah. Um, so so I, did, and I know he was, um, they were Antonina Johnson's. Yeah, yeah, won the Mercury Prize. And is a, an artist that I get to work with a lot. She's in um, Ireland now. Where do you live now, then, if you're not Lower East Side? I live, um, wh- where do I live now? Yeah. I live, I have a home on the Lower East Side. Oh, you but do? I, do. I go to Los Angeles, I'm from there, and I go to Hawaii a lot. Right, and right, right. I love. Um, Does that say Hawaii on your neck? Is that a tattoo? Yeah, it says, it says Hawaii. Just a with little, a cherry. Yeah, I got that a long time ago. Um, I took most of my tattoos off. They were all over my arms, but I took them off. You had them all lasered off. Yeah. How was that? It was fun. Fun. <laughs> I've never fun. had anyone it's call it transformation. Fun. I guess. There we it's go. Like, yeah, it yeah, looked yeah. horrible to have big tattoos all over my arms. I took them off. Cool. Do you, are you, we talked about success earlier and there's a phrase that someone said that you're, if you like your own work, then you are a success. And do you like your own work, the work you're making? Do you feel? I like my drawings now, but I need to do more. I need to make more time for myself to, to draw more because my drawings are really temperamental and Leopold was encouraging me to draw more. Yeah, well, and... I tried to buy some drawings from yours recently and we were actually on, mm-hmm. on discussion email. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll get some. He said, oh, sorry, they've just sold. So I just walked onto the booth straight away and bought all of them. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about, before you arrived here tonight, we were talking about your drawings. And, you know, yeah, you're so I well known for, drawings. like, the performances and yeah. all of that side of you and even just you. But I feel like the drawings... I really wanted to talk about them because I find them so personal and they're yeah. so like, we've always loved drawings by artists, but I particularly love yours. Yeah, your style. And they're fantastic. Because of the, and, cause your character, the Karen Black character yeah. that appears and the hair and the makeup and the black teeth. And... It's done with the makeup that I use. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't so know that. It's, I really love drawing and painting and it's it's really something that the drawings are just a lot more temperamental and I, I feel like the girls of Karen Black get shy to come out, like they don't want to appear on the page or something. It's really performative doing drawings with these things. So I, I'm i vowing and I, I that's what I'd like to do. Um, is do more drawings and, and spend more time with my with my hand, you know, like actual drawing with my hand because we all have hands and mm-hmm. we can all draw actually. And I find that doing drawings is like nonfiction illustration because I actually do the things in my drawings. Like I draw, do the sewn vagina mm-hmm. and it's not and just a special wall effect. You've done, haven't you? The wall of vagina. Yeah. But I've always loved drawings, and I have a lot of drawings in the Museum of Modern Art, actually. Oh, do they have you in their collection? They do. Wow. And that was um, something that Colin DeLand organized, actually. So, so great. But Leobold's and the gal, Emmeline's been really encouraging, to, and that, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. The other thing so. I love is the sit-in works. So the works where they're almost like, 
on a basic level, if you think of like Eve Klein. I love Eve Klein exactly. so much. But I mean, for people to understand what the work looks like, that's probably the quickest way for people to get a vision of what mm -hmm. it might be like. So you're using your own body and then almost like sitting on the page. And I think some of those works will be at freeze maybe. It's really athletic to do that because I used to be a gymnast and I used to, I tried to get the girls of Karen Black to sit on the page, but it's it's funny. No one can do those things that I do really, those physical things. It's mm -hmm. a little bit difficult. I don't take for granted um, the things that I do physically. Most of the girls of Karen Black just can't do it. So. And that's what makes you unique. Yeah. You have such a unique physicality. And it, it, I was going to compare it to being like an athlete, actually. It feels like it, um, but um, it's just surfing. Having balance, too. Did you fall off your surfboard a lot Do when you know, you it took me four and a half days until I could stand. And by the time I could stand, and I'm <laughs> six foot two, so I'm quite big, and I found it incredibly hard to get the balance, but even just to get up there. Mm. And then I... What I did was I got these little sock things, like water um, yeah. kind of suit socks. Booties. And then the minute I did that, because I've got size 14 feet American, so they've got quite big, chunky feet, and they're really annoying. So I kept knocking my feet, and I had all these like cuts all over my skin, and it was right. just driving me crazy. And it really hurt, but I was adamant I was going to do it by the time I left. And um, by the yeah four and a half days in, I finally stood, and it was one of the best moments of my life. <laughs> I felt like I had conquered like myself yeah. and conquered like nature, and it was just this whole incredible revelation and then i stayed there for another week and a half and got to surf every day mm. and it was just a that that's like if you ski in and any of them sort of sports that need that I found it harder than skiing though Did I found you? It, yeah because you're in the sea and yeah. you've got this kind of gravity pulling you all the time yeah. and it's it's so huge and you're so tiny in the in the water and there's sharks too yes but it's just what do you do in london too what if it is not rude to ask do you do sports in london do gym, do gym and cycling i do Bicycling. Yeah. Well, in, in Margate, where I've moved to by the sea, swim I'm, the I'm swimming a lot in the water. And, and I you love started it. yoga. And I've started yoga and I've started walking, but um, I haven't done enough exercise. You walked a lot when you were in London, though. You yeah, used to no, walk I, always, I used yeah. to walk for like five hours a day. I was crazy. And I still love, I love that about Margate because you can walk across the whole town within mm. 10 minutes, 15 mm. minutes. So and it, everything is like a 15 minute walk. Mm. So I'm forcing myself to walk and get healthier again. But What do you got planned to do while you're in London? What's on your to-do list, the Kembra to-do list? Well, um, I want to draw and I want to um, really look around because I haven't really seen a lot of London mm -hmm. and I just, um, I want to draw. And there's a certain kind of paper that I like here that Leopold and I, actually we found it in Denmark. We found my favorite paper and then we were What's able... That? What is it? I don't know. It's just the kind of pa paper size that we liked a lot. Um, it's about... 30 by 22, 24. Is that about how big it is? It's just in, the in, size in that we liked. Yeah. Is that in inches? Yeah, in yeah, inches. Yeah. Wow, I don't right. know the other system. No, that's perfect. Amazing. So nice. it's kind of user-friendly size. So I like the paper here a lot. Nice. And, um, I like um, a lot of the buildings that I get to see. I'm not a big traveler, and I, I, I'm afraid of Europe because it all reminds me of, uh, uh, like, blow up the movie blow up right is that bad to say no not at all i get we scared actually, here we actually sort of. interviewed um janet scared. street porter who's in a scene of blow up dancing she's in like a dancing scene in it she spoke about yeah. it when we interviewed her i think the photographer lives in shoreditch okay oh, really david bailey Oh yeah, he yeah, probably yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, lives yeah. in in Shoreditch. Yeah. I want to meet him. That would be nice. And you're staying in the Barbican area. You were saying. I'm staying um, as long as it. Hopefully, uh, yeah. With I get to visit Leopold, and I I just really don't get to see 
people that often because I'm working a lot yeah. all the time. But so so I, I that's all I'm gonna do. And I got abs. Oh, you know, I have t-shirts for you guys. <gasps> I forgot. We wear that. We got to do a picture afterwards. We wear it for the picture. I'm so sorry. They're at Leopold's. Oh. is there a way I can? Well, I'm gonna I, be at Freeze. So I've yeah, got yeah. a booth at Freeze. Yeah, yeah. I was okay. just about to say maybe I can wear it at Freeze. That'd be very. I'll cool. see you. It's a sewn vagina one. You probably won't want to wear it. It you makes people throw you up. You never know. I might well do is it. Is it a photograph or is it a drawing? It's a photograph. Wow. It's Amazing. the Richard picture. Sorry, it's it's a really offensive T-shirt. We love offensive T-shirts, especially about, when they're made by you. Yeah. And they're, it's elegant looking too. Exactly. It's not that bad, but it still upsets people on the subway in New York. I don't know how to drink this Actimel. You just do it like a little shot, it like that. Yeah, really. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. You just like sip it. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you I'm, think of that? It's really um, it's got strawberry. Funny bacteria in it. Yeah, it, bacteria is great. Um, I'm an anti-naturalist, so I live on things that are anti-natural, like, you know, um, city, city living, like the flaneurs in France. Mm -hmm. Do you know about the flaneurs? I love them. Well, I don't know about those. I just learned about them. It's nothing that I've known about for a long time. A flaneur is like, was a dandy. Oh, okay. We were actually talking about it in another interview recently. Were we? Yeah. Um, you know who spoke about it? Uh, yeah. Jasmine from JTT. Really? Yeah, when she was talking about um, Borna Samak. She wow. was talking about Flanners. Wow. So Where are we now? Where is your home? Or we're in you, Shoreditch. So I don't want people to no, stalk no, you here. My address and my phone number. Yeah, exactly, is, yeah. no, we're, in, we're in a Shoreditch area. Shoreditch area. So we're near so the Barbican. Near... And near David Bailey. Okay. <laughs> near David Bailey. David <laughs> exactly. Bailey is my neighbour. So yeah. This is such a great place. Thanks. So we, it's so we ask cool. every guest who comes on the show two questions. Really okay, hard questions. Okay. Very hard questions. It's like investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first one is, um, if you could do an art heist and take home any work you wanted, and it could be as huge as you like or as tiny as you like, yeah. what would you take home? Um, um, oh my God. Taking, I will, I'm sort of against stealing because it's such bad karma because I feel like there's so much abundance in the world. I, I really don't steal anything. I try not to. I do steal from church, though. I did take, like, the priest costumes a few times. Did you? When I went to my drug program, I left with, like, half of the wardrobe. Sorry. Oh did you ever wow. take the crucifixes from the church that you use in your performances? Um, I did, actually. Yes. Did you? I Are did, they officially actually. from a church? <laughs> They're from Father Delgado wow. from East 4th Street. And I, when he gave it to me, he gave me a 1960s crucifix that I took home and sprayed black and shoved in my butt. Sorry. Wow. But, you know, I was mad at that church because they wouldn't bury any women that had worked um, as prostitutes and any women that were addicts or single mothers. So that church wouldn't um, sanctify women that had fallen and I oh thought that God. wasn't. I thought that wasn't Christian. No, not at all. So you took the crucifix, painted black, and put it up your ass, and you were I like, "I did Great. actually." <laughs> so I did. <laughs> did I, you go I'm, back and tell him? Does he know this happened? Father Delgado is a really good friend of mine, and I've I've been I've known him for years. It was a Church of the Most Holy Redeemer. Mm. So there's a few things I've stole. That's a really good question. What would I steal? Um, um, what would I steal? Gosh. Um, what would I? What art would I steal? Yeah, like a t- like a touchstone um, artwork, someone that you visit all the time and you go and see. Or an artwork that means a lot to you. Yeah. Well, um, I would like David. 
you know. Michelangelo's. Yeah, I'd like yeah. David. I'd like to just have David yeah. in my apartment Same. and paint a tile red. That yeah. would you'd, be... And you'd actually paint the original as well? I'd paint the original. With body paint? With Karen Black body paint? or I'd just paint it tile red. So talking I, about I'd tile love, red... I love the... the Renaissance. I'd take a really, really just iconic Renaissance something just so iconic that like millions of tourists would be wanting to come and see and then I'd put myself on see David at like Kemba's house or something like that. <laughs> I love that. So I'd take I'd take something like that just just for its muscle. Yeah. Um and, a, but I love the Renaissance. Statue. I love the I love the Medici family and I love that the Italian Renaissance was all about turning the lights on, like consciousness raising. Maybe that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Do you think? I think it might be. Mm-hmm. I feel like things are the lights have been turned on. A you little do. Bit. Well, I feel like everyone's more woke to use that hashtag. I feel I like think we have to be. Have to be. I don't think it's the most political the world's ever important. been. Yeah. We have to be. We don't have a choice. No, we don't. Or else we're, we're not going to have a day like today. No. Or yeah, a visit exactly. like today. Exactly. No. Exactly. Yeah. No. Or uh, or an actimel. You're not going to have all that bacteria. No. In It'll London. Or tile red. It'll red. be over, I yeah. feel like, unless this, there's systemic change. And yes. So I'm hoping for the best. Me too. But, Me too. Yeah. And I, I believe it. And I, I really believe there is hope and there is a future and mm. art will help massively with mm. that. Um, and talking about systemic change, our mm. second question is, okay. what's your favourite colour? <laughs> That's no correlation <laughs> to systemic change. Um, I love tile red. Oh. I love black and tile red. Uh-huh. And mostly tile red is my favorite color, but... That's like terracotta, mm-hmm. like subway tile red. Do you have tile red in that piece there? Got That's it, That's a right. tile red that yeah. I like a lot. What's you guys's what artwork would you Can I ask you something about tile red quickly? You. Isn't your apartment all painted tile red? Yeah. So like every single thing in it, basically, like the wardrobes, like there's a giant penis, isn't there? Sculpture, which Oh, do you live with the giant penis? I sawed the last one in half that it was tile red in my house and I turned it into a pinata. Wow. So I'm going to do a performance with that. And um, the 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 statue is at um, Emelin, the disco statue. That's still there. Emelin. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, but the one you saw in half, mm-hmm. did you go from the top to bottom or did you cut like the balls Just off? Just cut it and then in the top? half. From like split it in half, where you took the head of the penis and the ball separate. I cut it in half, like um, I didn't. Um, let's see, how would you explain that? A vertical chop, not a yeah, so like lateral. Straight down. Yeah. No, actually, not straight down. Oh, not a horizontal chop. Oh, so you took the head of the penis off. Wow. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's. Um, I just got into the whole cock show because. I, I'd been showing my own body so much mm. and I have two brothers and I have a really good father. I just wanted to really really have a man show too. So I thought that would that's why I did that. I love it. When are you gonna do this performance? Um, next week, probably. In yeah. London or back in the States? In the United States. Oh. I'll film it and put it on YouTube. But okay, I cool. watched Blade Runner 2049 about mm-hmm. five times on the plane in many different languages. And I love the writer of that film, Hampton Fancher. Uh-huh. He wrote the first Blade Runner. Right. And there was a big change in that sci-fi film where there was a blackout in like 2020. And it, the blackout would have been similar to us losing all of our photos on the clouds that we're using uh-huh. and having all of our computer system computer system wiped out so i'm i i'm i believe that science fiction is prophetic 
and specifically Philip K. Dick. So yeah. I'm waiting for the blackout of that size that wipes out all of our information so that we're left with nothing again. I wow. feel like that's bound to happen with the rate Just of... Just a reset. With, with the amount of space that this is occupying, where's it going? Um, what cl- where Where's the cloud? Mm. Do you know? No. I don't know where no, it is. No. It's quite terrifying and odd, actually. I'm I do actually afraid. picture an actual cloud, though, when we talk about iCloud. Do you yeah, pay yeah. two cents for it, too? Does it I come pay, off your I pay for my iCloud storage. Me, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, me, too. So uh-huh. all that. So I'm gonna try to get all my imagery in, on mm. paper and put everything on paper again, and um, make records again because right. I'm not trusting that this information isn't gonna be completely demolished like they it was in mm. Hampton Fancher's mm. Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a great way to tie up the interview because that is a big thing for people to think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you have an Instagram? I do. It's Cambra Fowler underscore. And thanks so much for being have your kind words. I'm embarrassed a little bit. We because well, sorry love for that, I'm but thank you. And well, I'm not embarrassed in a, a bad way. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. It's yeah. just you. your home is beautiful, and I'm really excited about your play. Thank you. I cannot wait yeah. for that. You know what? Well, we I'm, out. You've I'm, got to come backstage and everything. I'm actually wait. coming out to New York for a month at the beginning of the year, and then I'll, I'll be there when he's on Broadway. We should go together and see him in it. It'd I'd be, be amazing so honored. I saw, let me just quickly say, the first Broadway play that I saw was The Elephant Man with David Bowie and my no mother took way. me 1979 and I go to Broadway every chance I get I've seen Grey Gardens I've seen um, Kinky Boot I've seen 49th Street Times Square I've seen every Broadway play I can because the Broadway theaters are some of the few things that haven't been gentrified yeah. and physically changed yeah. the so content true. is a little bit Disney-ish but mm. But the community spirit is there in Broadway. It's has, it's still yeah. it's untouchable. Yeah, it is untouchable. It's really it's and I told my students at, at class on Friday that we were going to go to a Broadway play together. And I think Broadway's having an upswing with content and things getting more interesting. Yes, hopefully. You know, um, I've been talking to a lot of friends recently about how lucky we are to be alive now in many ways, because I think you have to remember that even though we're going through all these turbulent political times and it is quite terrifying, we're actually really lucky because there's so many great artists and there have been so many great artists alive while we're alive. And if you think about it, like David Bowie, I was actually thinking about it earlier, but yourself included in this, you know, like Grace Jones, just like all the kind of phenomenons that we've had, like these incredible strong people cultural iconic Cult, yeah movement, and even christine yeah. now and yourself and like there's so many people that i love and i'm so happy that i was alive to witness yeah, yeah, all yeah. of what you you're, you're um, all doing it's important that we all reach out to one another that's what i always suggest to the kids in my class too i'm we made lists of people we wanted to meet and they were they were thinking oh this will never happen i'll never get to meet this or that artist and i i it's it's really important to seek those people Definitely. out. Definitely, you know? like like-minded kind of yeah. kindred spirits. Even if they're, even if they seem unapproachable, because I don't know, it's it, it's possible. Totally, everything's possible. I think this podcast has made yeah. us realize that. Well, like, you're you're connected. on our list. 
You were on our list. And you were 100% you. on our list. And wow. now we've met you. We're very, very yeah. happy. That's um, an amazing You'll probably thing. be disappointed. I almost threw up because I was. <laughs> I ate so much weird stuff at the at the airport. Um, we well, had a bag of donuts station. and a cheese sandwich, you told us, right? I just went to the gas station by the airport and got a cheese sandwich in the middle of the night. So I, I'm glad I didn't really get sick at your house. That would have been unco- that would have been really uncool. And I, I loved that I heard a podcast you did a while ago with Lydia Lunch. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that when she wrote a text or a book or something about healthy eating, it sort of made you start realizing you shouldn't just eat donuts all the time and eat, eat, eat a bit healthier. And it took you hearing Lydia Lunch saying that. Yeah, that actually made Lydia, you think about what you're eating. The need to feed. Yeah, the need to feed. That's right. So also I recommend checking out that podcast if you're listening to this one right now. Lydia Lydia's. Lunch is so genius. And if you don't know who Lydia Lunch is, you need to know. So just listen. That's all I'm going to say. Is that her real name, Lydia well, Lunch? Babe, you, just, you need to go listen because oh, you obviously listen, haven't listened. I haven't listened. But um, I would like to thank you so much. Thank um, you so for joining us on much. Talk Art. Revolution! Revolution! Uh, for images of everything we've talked about, visit at Talk Art on Instagram and we will be back very soon. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 Love it. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>